So the road to Emmaus. When I look at this and I'm looking at the setting of the scene, the first thing that springs to mind is I wouldn't have done it that way. I mean, Jesus is resurrected and he wants to come to these two disciples and teach them something. So you'd think the first thing he'd do would say, it's me, Jesus, back from the dead. And surely then they would pay a lot of attention to what he had to say. But instead, when he comes up to them, when he joins up with them, they don't know who he is. And what's more, it says that God deliberately hid it from him, from them. So it wasn't like Mary last week who had tears in her eyes. It wasn't like other people after the resurrection had a bit of difficulty recognising Jesus for whatever reason. Jesus deliberately didn't want them to know who was speaking to them. And it makes me scratch my head. Why? Why would that be? I'm hoping that as we go into this, we might begin to understand that. Uh, Nick was telling us, it's a walk from here to Genali or here to Sutherland. They're not exactly sure where Emmaus was, but it's something like that. It's at least that far. Um, but not flat. This is pretty well flat, the Shire, this part of it. Now, this, this is Israel. This is up and down. Very different. So, yeah, that, you know, the Big Dipper on President Avenue, if you could imagine that all the way. Oh, times 10. Yeah, okay. So even for those people who are used to walking, it's still a two or three hour journey. So it's a big walk. And they're walking along and they're talking about um, the things that have happened, the things, uh, talking about Jesus when he comes alongside them. And that's, the, that's true for all of us. You remember that passage, Jesus said, where two or more of you are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. Well, here we've got it actually happening and we can see it happening that if we're, if we're thinking about Jesus and we're talking amongst, about him, Jesus will be with us. And he very gently asks if he can join in the conversation think, and says to them, what's going on? What, what's happening in your life? What are the things that are bothering you? And they stop because they're so sad. They're so sad and they start to tell what had happened, the, the, the crucifixion, the things they had seen about Jesus and the hope he had given them and it was all gone. It was all ruined. We had hoped that he'd be the redeemer of Israel and now they didn't know what to do. And the women had come along and talked about him coming back from the dead, but they're only women. <laughs> and that doesn't really seem to make much sense to us. And Jesus says, you idiots. 
You idiots. Why are you so slow to understand all the scriptures say, have to say? And the key word there is all. Because what they understood wasn't wrong. It was right. But it was too small. It was as if they'd come across Jesus when he was preaching one time and they'd come up from the back and they'd seen the back of his head and they said, that fellow's got a really good back of the head. And every time Jesus tried to talk around and catch their eye, they would move so that they could still see the back of his head. And when they talk to, about Jesus to their friends, they say, this guy, you got a really good back of the head. you really got to come and see the back of this fellow's head. And if someone said to them, what's he look like from the front? They say, well, never bothered to find out, actually. <laughs> you idiots. You idiots, Jesus said. It's not just these two. The disciples back in Jerusalem were the same. They all thought the same way. And as Jesus, through his ministry, kept saying that, you know, the cross is coming... I'm going to die on the cross, they'd say, no, 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 no. They didn't want to listen. Because what they were thinking of with the Redeemer is someone that would come and liberate them from the Romans. Someone that would get all the populace behind him and then they'll get some swords together and they'd push out the Roman army and send them back to Italy where they belonged and Israel would then be the people of God and no one would tell them what to do. Back of the head. It wasn't wrong, but it was nowhere near the main point. In fact, when Herod was, uh, was trying Jesus, sorry, Pilate, was trying Jesus, he said, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. He wasn't thinking about the material things, he was thinking about the spiritual things. To redeem the people spiritually. And so he sets out to show them from the Old Testament, the scriptures, that everything was in the Old Testament is pointing to Easter. Right at the beginning, it tells us that God made everything, everything there is. He is the source of life, the source of everything, and as such, he's got the right to be the one in charge. But then what do people do? Adam and Eve, they said, no thanks, we don't want you in charge. We'll do things our own way. That's what sin is. You might understand it better if you think of it as rebellion. When we say to God, no God, um, I don't want you, I want to do things my way. And all through the Old Testament we see how this works out. Because God says, well look, this is separating us. You are cutting yourself off from me by rebelling. 
And since God is the source of life, the life is cut off. And so the natural consequence of sin, of rebellion, is death. Not immediately, but eventually. And it will get all of us. It's like when you turn off the, the TV and it cuts off the power and the light's there and it glows for a few seconds and then goes out. Well, our lives are that glowing bit. It's still glowing, but eventually it's going to stop. Eventually death will get us all. But God wasn't happy to leave it like that. He wanted to reconcile us so that we could be forgiven for our rebellion and put things back into relationship with him, to plug ourselves into his life. And so all through the Old Testament, we see this, we see death, we see the consequences of rebellion and sin, and we see God reaching out to bring us back and promising that one day there will be a solution, a solution to the problem of sin. You've got your talk notes in front of you. Down the bottom I've said, have a look at two passages sometime this week. Now, I can't go through all the passages in the Old Testament that talk about Jesus or Easter. But I can tell you what, I can guarantee that these two were in there. Psalm 22, written by uh, David, and it's talking about the distress and, and, and how upset he was. And if you read that, it's like someone who's got a video camera and is videoing the crucifixion a thousand years before Christ so that we can see it wasn't an accident. It wasn't a mistake that Jesus was crucified. God had said and had known all along that it was going to happen. And he wanted it to happen. Isaiah 53 is another passage. It's called the suffering servant because the Jewish people had gone through the Old Testament and they picked out all the good bits where God had said the Messiah would be victorious and successful and everything would be hunky-dory. And they put that in one side and then they put all the things that they found a little uncomfortable like the suffering servant, they put that on the other side and they didn't connect the two. But you read Isaiah 53 and it sets out clearly that this is God's plan of salvation, that he would send someone who would take the penalty instead of us, who would suffer instead of us, and who would uh, conquer death and live forever. See, that makes a big difference, doesn't it, to how we look at the resurrection. And perhaps this explains what Jesus was doing in disguise. Because if he'd come along and said, hello, I'm resurrected, these two disciples would have thought, oh, good, oh, let's forget about Good Friday as a terrible mistake when the people did the wrong thing and completely overthrew God's plans, 
Everything's back to square one. Now, get your army together and we'll, we'll give these Aitais a, a good thwacking. They wouldn't have learned. They needed to go back and understand what God's purpose real, really was. What the front of Jesus' face looked like rather than just the back. So if that's not what the resurrection was, covering up a, a, a terrible mistake, what was it? I'll tell you. I've got here a vase. Now, is it full? Don't know. Is it full? How can I? I can't show you because it's it's opaque. You can't see through it. You can't see. Here's one way I can prove to you when it's full. Is it full? That's what the resurrection is. It's God's proving that Jesus' mission was successful. It's the receipt to say that the debt has been paid. Those two disciples thought, we hope that he was the redeemer of Israel. Do you know what a redeemer was? Um, if you, I don't know who's had to go to uh, um, a pawn shop and had to hand something over for the money, but if you do that, to get what you had before, you have to pay money to buy it back, to buy it back, and that's what redeeming is: buy it back. And for the people of of Jesus' time, the, the most usual occasion was when someone had sold themselves into slavery. They'd got into debt, they had no way of getting out of it. The only solution was to become a slave. And if that happened, you couldn't work your way out of it. The only thing was, if you had family or close friends who wanted to buy you back and they had the money, they would come and they would pay to redeem you, to buy you back, to give you your freedom. This is the receipt. The resurrection is the receipt from God to say that all debts are paid. That death who is empty and hungry and going to swallow us all has been swallowed up by God's life. And we don't need to fear that anymore. And so Jesus explained, this is how things fit together. This is what has to come before the other. 
You can't get to Easter Sunday without going through Good Friday. The Bible was the means that Jesus used to show the disciples what God's plan was, what God's heart was, what his face was. For us, and if you have a look at the first thing in your talk notes, how do we make sure we have a deeper understanding of what the Bible says so that we're not just looking at the the back of the head all the time, but we're seeing all of what the scriptures have to say to us. Well, maybe your Bible has a, uh, has a guide in it. Mine does at home. Like, uh, uh, it sets out for each day a particular passage so that you don't... so that you get an overview, so that you get to see all of what's there. Or maybe you have... Um, Uh, some sort of study notes. Or you come along to the life groups and you're working through uh, Bible things. Very important that we see all of Jesus' face, that we see the whole of what God has to say to us so that then we don't get hold of the wrong end of the stick. If you're left wondering... Um, I haven't got anything, where can I go? Let us know and we will find, find something for you. Scripture Union put out notes. We haven't done it for a long while. But if you have a problem finding a, uh, a methodical way of working through the Bible, let some of the people up here know and we'll, we'll help you. We'll look for it for you. Moving on to the next few verses, this is the third section, I think, Simon. From verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, strongly stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he disappeared from their sight. There was one more thing they needed to do. Once the gospel had been explained to them, once they saw Jesus' face, and they knew what it meant to be brought back. There's one more thing they had to do. They had to accept it. See, we can't do anything to earn our freedom. But we do have to accept it. How do we respond? Say it was your cousin who had um, had to sell themselves into slavery. And in order to free them, you had emptied out your bank account, emptied out your superannuation, gone round the family and maybe some friends saying, 
bit of crowd, what is it? not crowd surfing, what do they call it? Um, crowdfunding. 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 You know, get a collection together to buy your cousin back. And you go, you go to the slave owner and you pay the money and he gives you a receipt, the uh, certificate of manumission, it's called, and you go to your cousin and say, you're free, we've bought you back. And your cousin says, oh, that's nice, but um, I've got used to it here. <laughs> the food's good, there's a roof over my head, and you cannot fault the job security. It's amusing, but so many people actually do it. They go through a religious phase where they, they, they look into the things of Jesus, but nothing ever comes of it. Like the disciples, when they got to Emmaus, Jesus was going on. He had to be invited to stay. Now, I don't know whether, where you're at, where, whether you're right at the beginning, like the disciples, as they're talking along and Jesus wants to come and join in the conversation, or whether you're at the point where you understand what it's all about. But at some point, you have to make that decision. Will you invite Jesus in? Because if you don't, the opportunity will be gone and he will walk on. If you say, oh, look, there's still some things I've got to sort out, then fine, invite him to join the conversation. Invite him to teach you about God's message and about God's redemption, which will bring you back to the point where you have to choose. Fight God, ignore God, or welcome God. Because that's the only choices there are. But then, when you understand and you welcome Jesus and say, look, I'm, I'm sorry I've fought against you before that I rebelled. I want to take your redemption. I want to accept your redemption and I want you to be running my life. Then, then is when you understand Jesus face to face. That's when you see the whole picture. That's when it all comes together. One more little section of this passage. They asked each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together. And the eleven said, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told her what had happened on the road and how Jesus was recognised by them in the breaking of the bread. If I got sat down to tea at my brother's place at Jerusalem, at Janelli, at six o'clock, 
I wouldn't want to get up and have to walk back to Cronulla, especially when the road's going like this, and especially at night time, because that's, that's when uh, the muggers can get you, that's when the wild animals are about. That's why where, when you trip, and if I've already walked that far once in the day, I don't want to walk it the second. They weren't told to do that by Jesus. You remember Mary last time was told, go and see the disciples and tell them what's happened? Jesus didn't say that to them. But they wanted to. They wanted to. They had been without hope. They had been confused. They had been sad. And that had been taken away because with the truth and with the grace that Jesus had shown them. And so they had to share it with their friends. And so they went all that distance back and it would be nine o'clock or something when they got back. When can we share things with fellow believers? And I'm, I'm not talking... It's a bit different to... Evangelism. Evangelism, you've got to worry about are you shoving things down people's throats? So. The people around us now are people who are already wanting to know about Jesus, who already want to learn more. You'll always be welcome to talk about Jesus with other believers. So what can we do? I know... Um, I know a couple of people who put things on Facebook. They put um, Bible verses or, or thoughts on Facebook. I know someone else in this congregation. I was speaking to his daughter-in-law some time ago. But when he has uh, lunch of a Sunday after the service, he'll tell the family what the sermon was about. So that's another way we can share with other believers. And we've got our life groups. And we've also got morning tea. It would be very good if we could do a bit more sharing on spiritual things at morning tea. <coughs> I'm not saying we do that all the time. It's good to talk about family and work and uh, what's on the TV and the sport. That's fine because you don't want to open your heart up to people you don't know. So all those things where we get to know each other are a vital step on the way. But where is that way taking us? It should be taking us to the point where we can share about the deep things of Christ. When we can tell each other what we have seen of his face. The love, the compassion, the joy... Give some thought to that. How can you do that more? How can you encourage others to do that more? I know um, there's so much more that can come from this passage, but we just don't have time. We can come back to it again another time. Let's, um, let's just have a prayer. <coughs>
Lord Jesus, we thank you for the example of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. We pray that you will open our eyes, grant us greater understanding of all that you have to say to us. Walk with us by day and stay with us by night and fit us to share the good things we receive from you with our fellow believers around us. Amen.